Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. I'll be at a Journey Community Church in Fontana. We thank you for tuning in. Last week, we continued our study of pondering the Proverbs with Pastor Chris. Our topic of last week was what God loves versus what God hates. This week, we're going to be continuing our study with Pastor Chris as we look at Proverbs. Now, with all that said and done, let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Chris. He had it all on paper. I mean, literally everything that the world says will make you happy, this guy had. He was rich, he was powerful, he was moral, and he was young in age. I mean, he had his whole life ahead of him and a whole lot of wealth, but the man still lacked. And so there he was looking for the good teacher when he found him. And the man goes up to Jesus and he asks him a question, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? There is only one good God. But if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, but Lord, which ones? I've been keeping them from my youth. And Jesus goes on and he says, do not lie do not murder, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the man says, I still lack. And Jesus, looking at his eyes, looking through to his soul, says, or with love, go and sell all that you have. Every bit of your possessions, give it to the poor and come, follow after me. The rich young ruler heard that message And the Bible says he turned away sorrowful, grieving in heart, for he had many possessions. Then the Lord turns to his boys, the disciples, and he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than to enter into heaven. And so you have this story really about possessions, about power, about wealth, about money and materialism. And yet Jesus says, you still need more. The young rich ruler realized there was still more in this life. And so this morning, we're going to talk about money. Next week, we're going to talk about money. And maybe three weeks from now, we'll, in a couple weeks, we'll talk about money as well. Because the Bible has a lot to say when it comes about this idea of money. 2,000, over 2,000 Bible verses deal with the issue of money. One out of every four statements Jesus ever made that is recorded in our Bible deals with money or possessions. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deal with money and possessions. The Old Testament law deals with money and possessions. So God has a whole lot to say about money. Now, he tells us what we need to know, and we must have the right perspective when it comes to this idea of money. So this morning, we're going to talk about what not to do according to God, what not to do with your money, how to view it, how to spend it, how to get after it according to God. And then next week, we're going to look at some things in which God says, if you want to prosper in this area of money, do these 
things. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I know what you're thinking, that's not part of the Proverbs, and you are absolutely correct. Everything else will come from the Proverbs, but this is really the, the overarching principle of the Scripture. Welcome, welcome. Come on in, Lewis. This is the overwhelming or overarching principle of Scripture and how to view money. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. We're going to look at what not to do with money according to God. Verse 10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the very first thing God tells us when it comes to this idea of money is do not what? Right there on the screen. Do not love it. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So let's talk about money and the principles of money before we really get into this. Money, what is it? Money is nothing more than a medium in which there's an exchange of gifts and services. That's it. That is what money is. It's a medium in which you can buy stuff with or you can hire a hand to help you. Gifts and services, nothing else. So that makes money immoral. Either it's not evil and it's not good. It just is. It's just a medium in which uh, gifts and services is exchanged. How you view money, what you do to get money, and then how you spend that money determines whether money is evil in your life or not. Now, it's not the money itself. It's the wielder of it. And so the Bible says when it comes to money, number one, realize that it's not evil to have it, nor is it good to have it. It just is. Another principle about money is that you cannot gauge your blessing based on whether you have it or you don't. It is not a proper litmus test on whether God loves you or not. Contrary to what all the, the health wealth preachers preach and contrary to what, you know, all those fake teachers tell you about, if you really have faith, send me all your money and watch God work. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But money is not evil or good, and money in and of itself cannot determine whether God blesses you or not. Here's an, another thing um, about money that we must know. Everything comes from God. And we discussed that a little bit last week in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The children of Israel coming into the promised land, and God's warning was this, don't you forget about me when you come into prosperity, when you come into blessing, when your barns are full, when you have so much money and you're ready to build these big old homes, don't forget about me. I was the one who gave you the power. I was the one who gave you the opportunity. Your uh, faculties and your abilities and that divine appointment and those open doors, that was all God. God did it all. And so with those just basic money principles, we come to the do not list. And at the very top of the list is we are called to not love money. And why is that? What's the first reason there on for, in verse 10 why we are not to love money? 
There you go. That's the very first reason why we are not to love money, because it is the root of all sorts of evil. If you want to look at any sin in the Bible, you can draw it back to some desire of power or wealth or monetizing. It is really the source of all sorts of problems. You want to know how how much money and and sin correlates? Did you know that 97% of all U.S. paper dollar bills, so dollar bills, $5, $10, $100 bills in circulation, 97% of all paper has traces of cocaine on it. That's how much America parties. Right? Money and sin, they can go hand in hand. It's not money itself. It's the person or people or establishments yielding that money that can cause sin. And when you look at every industry in the world, you can look at the the sin of loving money and then the atrocities that can ultimately follow with it. One industry that comes to mind is the pornographic industry. What would cause a a man, a woman, men or women to go down to the basic, baser instincts of their being and act like animals shamefully and publicly for the whole world? What would cause a person to do that? Money. Did you know that the pornography industry has more money than the NFL, NBA, MLB and MLS combined? Those are the four major sports of the United States. And the United States pornography industry generates more money than that. They generate more money than ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox combined. It is a massive money cow. And and people are getting filthy rich because, uh, and through sinful actions, because they love money. And it's the root of all sorts of evil. Do you know how the statistics on porn stars and their suicide rate, on their substance abuse rate, on their uh, mental illness rate, it's through the roof? Do you know the statistics on everybody who's addicted to pornography? Depression, anxiety, divorces, and all the rest. What drives the pornography industry and has enslaved literally probably over a billion people in that sin is money. And you can look at any industry and you can tie back that evilness to money. God says, be very careful about loving it because out of it comes all forms of evil. Here's the second reason we're not to love money. It's right there in verse 10. Anybody want to give that to me? You guys knocked the first one out the park. There you go. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. So number one, it's the cause of all sorts of evil. Number two, it pulls you and draws you away from the Lord. When you go chasing after dead presidents, you're probably not living for the living king, right? You're going after something else. There's an agenda or something on your mind that becomes more important than that. It can pull you away. The word wander, when you wander off at a store or wander off, you know, at a beach or somewhere, is that an intentional thing or does it kind of just happen? It just happens. You know, the Christian doesn't go out and say, I'm going to leave Jesus today and, and go after this money. They just 
do it. It just happens. It's an inevitable thing. When you love something or someone greater than God, you will go after that. You will tend to lean towards that. When I was out in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago, we were there on the North Shore in Oahu and there on the East Shore. And one thing I, I was uh, I noticed was how deceptively strong those currents are there in Hawaii. I mean, they are deceptively strong. You know, you're right there in front of your beach towel. And before you know it, your beach towel can be way down there. And you didn't really realize that you've wandered way off the path. God warns his people and says, if you love money, it's like you floating in the sea. It's going to cause you to drift away without you even recognizing that. Now, this word that Paul uses, the love for money, that's all one word in Greek. And it literally means phila or phileo, to love brotherly, silver. To love or to be a lover of silver. That is someone who is a lover of money. They just can't stop thinking about it. Now, who's a good example of someone who walked away from the faith because they were a lover of silver? There you go, brother. Way out in left field. Judas. Judas. Think about this guy. I mean, there they were at the head of the table, Caiaphas, the, the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the religious leaders of Israel. And they're, they're murmuring and they're scheming. We got to kill this guy. All of Israel is going to go after him. We have to do something. We have to do it quickly. And so the religious leaders are scheming and in comes Judas. What does he say? Hey guys, how can I help? And he literally says, how much money will you give me if I betray this man to you? And you know the story. Jesus says, friend, are you going to betray me with a kiss? Judas takes his 30 pieces of silver, throws it down at the altar of the temple and says, I have shed innocent blood. That's the end game of the lover of silver. How did Judas kill him? Never mind, moving on. <laughs> How did Judas die? He ended up taking his own life. That is the end game for those who are lovers of money. Another reason why you're not to love money, it's temporal. You know what you never see at a funeral home? A U-Haul truck following. You never see it. Because naked, you've come into this world, and naked, you're going to leave. That little tuxedo they dress you in, and when they put you in that box, that's going to burn and, and dissolve away just like your body. It's going to turn to the dust that we've come from. It's a temporal thing. There in Acts 8, there was this great revival. So if this church was Jerusalem, the revival happened in Samaria, which we would say is like Victorville, Hesperia. It was up north, 30, 40 miles or so. And so there was this massive revival. And James and John, the, the two apostles, they heard about it. And so they go off there in Acts 8 to go see what this revival is all about. And then we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. You can just listen. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed them for that, or prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, notice God the Holy Spirit's a he and not an it, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Now who's Simon? He was a sorcerer. He was a magician. He was a con man. And he ended up hearing the gospel and following after Peter because he wanted to know more about this guy, Jesus. So this Simon the sorcerer sees Peter and John laying on hands and they're getting uh, receiving the Holy Spirit and he then wants it. So he then offers them money saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter's response, verse 20, Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no right and no portion to this matter. Two things Peter tells Peter or Simon. Number one, your silver is going to die. Number two, you're going to die. One thing I can promise you here is each one of us in this room is like a milk carton. We all have that expiration date. And God knows the day and the hour when we take our last breath. Your money doesn't purchase your admission into heaven, nor does your money go with you to heaven. Do not love money because it bring about evil. Number two, or uh, number two, it draws you away from your faith. And then number three, it ultimately um, is a temporal thing. So here's my question. I have three questions for you. Do you love money? And before you say, no, 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 here's the three questions you can ask yourself. Question number one, do you have enough of it? That's a really solid question. Now the question is, do you have enough of it? Do you have enough to put food in your belly? Do you have enough to keep lights on? Do you have enough uh, to have some form of shelter and clean water? Do you have enough to live? Now, if your immediate response is, no, I don't have enough, listen to what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Ecclesiastes 5.10, Solomon writes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with it nor he who loves abundance with its income, this too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? Solomon says, if you're never content with money, it's because you love money. And guess what? When you get more money, guess what also increases with you getting more money? your expenses and what and your your desires and what you purchase. And so Solomon is saying it's your love of money that's causing you not to be content. And so even as you get more money, you still purchase more. And it's because at the heart of it there is a love for money that we know may not be there. Here's another one. Do you enjoy giving it away? Now the question is not do you give it away. My question is, do you actually enjoy it when you do? God loves a cheerful giver. God's looking at the motive. 
He's looking at your motivations and your attitudes towards it. Are you somebody who actually takes joy in giving your resources away to someone in need? If you say no, then it's a very strong indicator that money takes a higher priority in your life than maybe it should. Because humans were made in the image of God and dollar bills have the image of man. And so you got to kind of counteract those two things. Now, here's the big one. This is kind of the the main indicator if you love money or not. And before you answer no, think it through. Are you willing to sin for money? I would never sin for money. No, 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 no way. Have you ever lied on on a resume or an application to get an interview? Is that not sinning for money? Have you ever lied in an interview to get a job? Here's one. Have you ever cheated on your taxes? That's lying. That's sinning for money. So when we ask these questions, we immediately say, no, not me. I'm a child of God. How can I possibly? When we begin to dig a little deeper, we can see, particularly in an American society where capitalism is strong, where the American dream is alive, when all these things revolve around money, it can be so easy to get off focus and to actually put it in a place that it's more important than what it really is. So number one, God says, do not love money. Number two, do not be greedy over money. And so with that, let's turn actually now to the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one, starting at verse 19. And I think I have all three verses there uh, dealing with greed. Proverbs chapter one, starting at verse 19. So the ways of everyone who gains, now that word gains is actually the Hebrew word greed. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. So when looking at greed, number one, greed will stop at nothing to get what it wants. It will even go to the place of violence in order to obtain wealth and power. Proverbs chapter 15, and starting at verse 27. Yeah, they're up there. He who profits. Now that word profits is the Hebrew word for greedy. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. And now the last one, Proverbs chapter 22, and starting at verse 16. He who oppresses the poor to make. Now that word make more is the Hebrew word for greedy. Now he who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So Solomon tells us three things about greed. It will go to the place of violence. It will go to the place of sin and immorality. And it will go to the place of oppression in order to gain what it wants. Now from the screen, what are the the three results of greed? Number one, it says those who gain it, what happens? You'll lose your life. What about Proverbs 15? Those who go for illicit gains, which just means they're greedy to the point of immorality. 
and uh, they are do things illegally. What is the, the end result of those people? Verse 15, 27. Troubles his own house. And verse uh, chapter 22, verse 16. They will come to what? That is the end game of the greedy. The actual Hebrew word for greed, it literally means an open soul. And what an open soul is, the idea it's portraying is it's never satisfied. It's always hungry. Its appetite is the God of its own belly. You can feed it like Pac-Man over and over and over, eating, 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 and it's not good enough. It doesn't satisfy the soul. So greed brings all those things. What is the main consequence of greed, though? What does it do for other people? Nothing but bad things, right? A greedy person is a selfish person at the core. Greed turns a selfless person into a selfish. And it's all about taking instead of giving. There was an old, old, old rich man who wanted to really find out the meaning of life. So he was on a path. He was miserable and he couldn't figure out why. And so he ended up going to a synagogue and meeting a rabbi. And the rabbi heard his story and he says, come. And the rabbi took the old man's hand and he walked him up the stairs and he led him to a a very big glass window. And he says, now tell me, what do you see? And the old man looked out into the street and he says, I see men, women, and children. And the rabbi says, you're very observant. And he takes the old man's hand and he takes him to a full length mirror. And he says, now look, tell me what you see. And the old man says, I see myself. What's the point of this nonsense? And the the rabbi says, well, sir, that glass window and this glass mirror are identical except for one thing. This glass mirror has silver. And the second you add silver to to the glass, you stop seeing everybody else and all you see is yourself. And that's the truth about riches. When you put riches at number one, Greed will take over and you will inevitably be an oppressor. You will inevitably seek gains illegally and immorally, and you will by nature be violent in order to obtain what you want. Greed steals from everyone else. God has called his people to give back. So the Bible says, don't love money. Number two, don't be greedy. Number three, here's another very important one. Do not be indebted by money. Let me say that one more time. Do not be indebted by money. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor. And what does the rest say? And the borrower becomes the lender's slave. In America, the average median income as of right now is $79,950 a year. The average household debt is $149,000. When you think about that, that is a great imbalance incredible imbalance. And the Bible says, if you're indebted, you are a slave to whomever that debt is owed 
too. Do you think that the bank cares about you or your family or your possessions when you don't pay the bills? They will not bat an eyelid. They'll put you out in the street without even thinking twice about it. Fix your house up and sell it for double as profit. And they'll be happy to do it. When you owe money, you are a slave to that debtor. Now, there are two things that in America where it's very hard to escape from debt, but it's it's worth a shot. Number one is student loans. Student loans kill. Now, they can be potentially good debt, which is called an asset, if that debt puts money into your bank account. So if that job turns out, uh, turns you into becoming a professional and that career puts money in your account that you wouldn't have got had you not gone to higher education, then that's the way to go. And that student loan becomes an asset. For the vast majority of people, that's not the case. Because you're asking 16 and 17-year-olds who don't really know themselves, don't really know their strengths and weaknesses, don't really know the world and how it works, don't really understand wisdom and experience because they haven't gone there, and then they're told, choose what you're going to do for the next 30 to 40 years. It's not the wisest plan particularly when under the Obama administration, something was passed that didn't get a lot of media coverage, as you can imagine, but it was incredibly fantastic for the federal government and big banks. It was a disaster for the common person trying to get an education. That was called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. He passed that, and it was it was portrayed as it's going to help the borrower. What that ended up doing was it incentivized the federal government to make money off of your debt. What can possibly go wrong when the federal government sees you as a dollar sign? Nothing, right? But that's what ended up happening. And so now in 2021, we have $1.6 trillion of student loan debt, and the United States federal government owns 90% of it. So they're collecting interest on top of interest on top of interest. Now, what Barack Obama passed was this. Not only is the federal government going to be incentivized, but the borrower cannot default. So that loan you take out at 18 years old for 50, 80, 100, 150,000, that's with you for life. And get this, I'm not going to pay it. Forget it. They'll take everything you own, and then they'll sell your debt off, and guess who pays for that? The United States taxpayer. When you are indebted, you are a slave to whomever you are indebted to. So young people, community college is the absolute way to go. You can get your tuition for free. You can get your your books for half off or free or, you know, come alongside and be in a library with people or whatever. There's ways in which you can get an education and you can go go through that without any debt. Then if you need to go on to a four-year, six-year, go on to your doctor's degree, if you're absolutely sure that's what you're going to do, then go for it. If you're not, stay at the community college until you know what you're going to do. If you shackle yourself to 100,000 plus debt, you're going to be indebted for life. 
The second way in which most of us get indebted is through mortgages. Have you heard that term house poor? You know, or more, you know, it's like, oh, I got a ton of money in equity, but I don't have access to it, right? It's like you're paying mortgage, paying mortgage, paying mortgage. It's the American dream. What happens though is you are indebted to the lender. And so there's this common phrase, sell agreed by fear. Sell greed by fear. In the mid-2000s, what was the, the general population saying? We have to buy houses, buy houses. In 2005, buy houses, buy right now, you have to. These negative amortized loans, these you know uh, adjustable rate mortgages, they're gonna keep the prices low. If we don't buy now, we're gonna get priced out and never own. Dumb money in 2005, six and seven was buying. Do you know what smart money was doing? Selling right into your buying pressure. The financial crisis came, collapsed, the wealthier got rich, we got smoked. In 2009, 10, 11, they're saying, don't buy, don't buy. The American economy's done. Guess what the rich were doing? Hand over fist buying. Last year, March 2020, oil fell negative. So a barrel was negative $37. I was looking into buying. It was like, how do you even buy this oil? If they're going to give it away, I'll take some. It's not available to you and I, I checked. But it is available to big corporations. Uh, the United States government bought tons of oil. China bought a ton of oil. And then, um, you know, billionaires like Carl Icahn bought billions of dollars of, of petroleum and shares in oil companies. Everybody's saying, sell, 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 sell. Uh, you know, dumb money selling, smart money, buying, buying, buying. What are you seeing now in the housing market? We have to buy. Interest rates, they're going to go up. We have to, if we don't do now, we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, uh, priced out forever. Dumb money's buying, smart money's selling. Jeff Bezos unloaded all his properties. Elon Musk lives in a $50,000 double wide in Texas. He sold all his properties. Why do you think the billionaires are unloading and every one of us is buying, buying, buying? We don't understand debt and we don't understand, we don't understand money. We don't understand how it works. If you're indebted 600, 700, 800, 900, a million dollars more, how do you pay that off? It's very, very difficult. Just FYI, price moves in broadening formation, the housing market's at all-time highs. Price typically retraces and then goes off to all-time highs again. Two things that cause the housing market to, to taper off. Number one is supply. And the United States is tapering supply to keep up demand. I wonder why. Second thing they do is they control interest rates. As of Wednesday, the Federal Reserve said in first half of 2022, they're going to raise interest rates. And in 2023, they're going to raise interest rates. So what that means is they're going to taper the, the economy off, slow the economy down by raising interest rates, which what do you think is going to do with the housing market? Supply then is going to boom and demand because housing is at all-time highs and interest rates go up. What do you think that does? It's a reversal. So I would just say, be very careful when you're coming into debt. Student loan debts, mortgage debt, credit card debt is the absolute worst on planet Earth. I bought a snowboard when I was 18. I paid that snowboard off when I was 30. 
That was the most expensive snowboard in the history of snowboard. I must have spent like 25 grand on that snowboard at 17% interest. When, you know, the idea is make sure that you are not enslaved by money, mortgage, student loans, and all the rest. Be smart, buy cheap, sell the fear, buy the greed. When you hear the everybody say, I would never touch that, it's the scariest investment in the world, it's obviously a good, it's usually a good sign that that's the time to buy. Follow smart money. So the Bible says, do not become indebted. Why? Because you'll be someone's slave. So the Bible does say, owe no man anything but love. So is debt okay? Are we allowed by God to be indebted? The answer is yes. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 21, the psalmist writes, The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. So when you look at the Old Testament law, when you look at throughout the Bible, God does condone debt. He just says, don't be indebted with bad debt. Don't get in over your head because you need to realize they'll take everything from you if you don't pay. Last one, and this kind of is going on to the, the other side of money. We're really been targeting like the go-getters, the YOLOs, the I'm going after the almighty dollar. I want to be rich. Here's the complete opposite. The Bible also says when it comes to money, don't be lazy going after it. Know that it's important, but just know that it's a means for gifts and services and nothing else. So when it comes to money, don't be lazy. Proverbs chapter 6, starting at verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So Solomon goes and he says, look at the ant. Now, humans were made in the image of God and his likeness. And he's saying, now you sluggard. The term is used 14 times in Proverbs and found nowhere else in the Bible. So when you go and you look at those terms of a sluggard, he uses it in three ways. Laziness, irresponsibility, and apathy. A lazy person is irresponsible. A lazy person just doesn't really care. And a lazy person just, you know, cannot be real bothered with the thing. So uh, Solomon says, go to the ant and observe her ways and be wise. So observe and then apply what you see. Number verse seven, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. So one thing you see about the ant you don't have to have a, a boss, a babysitter, someone looking over the ant's shoulder, prodding it, saying, come on, get up. You got to clean your room. Go on, get to work. Go do your homework. You know, none of that. The ant knows what the ant has to do. It doesn't need to be told, babysitted, pushed in the right direction. 
It knows what's, what it needs to do. And what does it do? It prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. It works hard in the here and the now, and it works hard for the future. It plans ahead. It prepares. It doesn't say, well, I'll just do it tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. It, the ant goes to work and then uses what it, what it earns and then saves some for the future. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? And then notice verse 10 is in quotation marks. So Solomon is now uh, mimicking or mocking the lazy person. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Now that's the excuse of the lazy person. Well, I'll just sleep a little bit longer. Well, I'll just take another day off or, you know, I, you know, I've been working so hard. I'll just deal with it some other time. There's always an excuse. The Bible in Proverbs 26 says of the lazy man, that the lazy man uses fear and excuses to not do their job. The lazy man says, oh, I cannot go out into the streets for there is a lion there. Solomon writes in Proverbs 26. So the lazy man says, you know, oh, I can't go do that because I'm too scared. Something might happen. It's nothing more than an excuse. Proverbs 22 says, as a, as a door turns on its hinge, so too the lazy man turns in its bed, in his bed. It's the excuses, irresponsibilities, and apathy so that they can turn over in their bed and, you know, really be at peace. Solomon then warns the lazy person, verse 11, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. You're going to wake up one day and you're going to say, I don't even have enough money to eat. And guess what? It's just going to creep up on you. You're not going to see three months ahead that you're not going to have money. You're going to wake up one day and say, I am in need. So God says, don't love money, don't greed over money, don't be indebted by money, and don't be lazy to go after money. So what do we do? Next week is that sermon, but I just want to leave you with one to do. Be content. That's really the key of it all, is contentment. If you are content, you're not going to love money. If you're content, you're not going to greed over it and cause other people harm, do illegal things, do immoral things, and oppress others if you're content. If you're content, you're not going to be indebted because I don't need the new car. I don't need the beautiful home. I don't need the the timeshares and all the rest. You're not going to be indebted. And if you're content, you're not going to be lazy either. You're going to realize that all that God has done is for you, and you're going to enjoy and be blessed in that. So in Proverbs chapter 30, and we'll close out with these verses, Proverbs chapter 30, starting at verse 7. Two things I asked of you, and they use capitalized, so this is somebody asking of God. Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Number one, Keep deception and lies far from me. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I, that I not, that I be not 
goodness, that, come on, Chris, can you read right now, brother? That I not be full. There you go. That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. This man says, I want two things from God. Number one, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. I want to live the truth. I want to be a part of the truth. And with that, I want a spirit of contentment. So that if I'm rich, I don't say I don't need God. And if I'm poor, I don't have to sin in order to feed myself and then profane the name of God. See, when we're known as Christians and we go out and sin, everybody says the same thing. They're a bunch of hypocrites and they begin to blaspheme God because of our actions. The guy from the Proverbs says, I want to know the truth and I want just enough so that I can represent you the right way. So turning this back all the way back on its head and kind of bookending it, we looked at what we are not to do when it comes to money. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, don't love it. Now, how do we guard against it? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these things, we shall be content. So Paul says, how is a person content? They know God, godliness. They know who the Lord is. They know who they are in the Lord, and they see the world system for exactly what it is, a facade, corrupt, hypocritical world system that ensnares and traps souls. So the Bible says, know the truth. And when you know God, know your position in God, see the world for really what it is, then your heart can be content. Like Mike said today, what did you say earlier? You said something about, go say, repeat it. Exactly. I said this morning we're praying and, and I said, wow, the worship team is so cheerful this morning. I mean, you guys have a lot of joy going on. And, and Mike's response was, we're all going to heaven. What was the last part? I forgot. I have the worst memory. <laughs> we're all going to heaven. What, yeah. What's the worst that can happen? There's nothing to worry about. See, that is a very correct way of thinking. You see God for who God is. You see yourself for who you are in him. You see the world system for what it really is, and you understand your end game. So no matter what we're battling with right now, it doesn't matter. Because the God of all creation, the eternal I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning of the end, and the end is for us. And in that, we can take great, you know, security in that. Amen. So what's the first thing that we are not to do with money? Second, (laughs) greed over it, right? What's number three? Don't, do not be indebted to it. They'll put you out on your butt in the streets in a New York minute. Do not be indebted to, to people, you know, because they'll be your slave master. Then what's the fourth one? Don't be lazy. 
Just because money isn't the end-all be-all doesn't mean we sit around observing our navels and pondering the stars. You go out there and you work, you grind, and you make as much money as you possibly can so that you can give as much of it away as you possibly can. That's the mindset. And then how do we defend ourselves from loving money, being greedy over it, being indebted by it, and going so far as even to be lazy from it? What is the key? contentment. And contentment comes from godliness, knowing God, knowing yourself, and knowing what the world offers. Amen? All right, next week, we're going to look at what to do with money according to God. And I'm telling you, if you apply next week's principles, you will be blessed because the the author or the coder of all creation has given us his, you know, his cheat sheet on how to hack life. And so be there next week. Ready? (laughs) Ready. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. We thank you, God, that we see the world for what it really is. These companies, God, that are, are pushing all these social justice, and yet they have child labor and slave labor on the other side of the world. And here they are talking about equality, and yet greed and the love of money has caused oppression and violence, immorality, and illegality for the sake of the share price and the shareholders and the board. Father God, I just pray as Christians, we would see what really is and what the world has behind its facade. It is a corrupt system run by Satan to ensnare souls to hell. But we are not of the world. And God, we are so thankful that you have called us to be born again. We are so thankful, God, that we have this book so that we know right from wrong and we can be blessed as we observe your word. We know, God, that if we love money, All kinds of evil is going to come from it, and we know that it can knock us off our path. And so, Father, we just pray that you would keep us, keep us saved, keep us safe, keep us usable, keep us right in your sight. Father, we love and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.